Have you noticed how there is something in each and every one of us that just loves an amazing transformation? You guys remember that show, uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Move that bus, right? You watch like 48 minutes to get to that moment when the bus finally moves and you see the delight on the people's faces and you walk through with Ty on these incredible remodelings and it's so exciting. (sighs) Or maybe you're into like romantic comedies, right? And there's, yeah, okay, got one fan. And there's like, you know, that girl who loves that guy, but the guy doesn't see anything in her, you know, but then at the end of the movie, she goes through this radical transformation, which means she takes off her glasses, basically. And it's like, whoa, such beauty right in front of me. Transformation, we love it. (laughs) And if that's not your bag, then maybe this is Optimus Prime. Transformers. I'm not talking Michael Bay Transformers. I'm talking action figure, Saturday morning cartoon Transformers. If you're in my area, you know what I'm talking about because you know the joy of taking what is just a very cool blue and red semi-truck and transforming it into this awesome, I don't even know what they are. Are they aliens? I think they're technically mechanical aliens. Transformation! I lost like most of you on that, but I don't care. I'm excited now, and you'd rather have me up here excited than not. So we're moving on ahead. We love the before and the after. But even greater than all of these superficial transformations are the life-changing transformations that come through the good news of Jesus Christ. So for the next seven weeks, that's what we are focusing in on. We are going to God's word to look at the before and the after, to see different accounts of where we have people before they encountered the good news of God and after, and what God does in and through them. Today we'll be spending time in Acts 8, where we look at the transformation of an Ethiopian man. This is an amazing account. Now we, honestly, we don't even get a whole lot of the before. We get just mere moments. And there's very little of the after in him. And yet it is enough to see the transformational power of the word of God and, of course, how we are then called to respond. So that's what we're talking about today. Let me bring you up to speed to chapter, or to Acts chapter 8. See, very shortly after Jesus' resurrection, he hung out with the disciples, revealing himself and final instructions, all of that, and then he ascends into heaven. Sometime later, 40 days later, Pentecost happens, ascends his Holy Spirit, which marks the official beginning of the church, which is rapidly growing. There are numbers being added to the church daily, so much so the 12 disciples recognize that they need other disciples in their midst to be raised into important ministry roles to best care for the flock and continue on mission together. Two of those disciples are, uh, that were appointed are named Stephen and Philip. Now Stephen, very quickly, he shows his courage and his faith through this powerful testimony he gives, which you absolutely will want to read but it also reveals the dangers of the time that this is happening because he was then stoned to death. It, was marking, it marked the turning point of Jesus being persecuted to the followers of Jesus being persecuted. And that is the context 
where we now follow Philip, one of the others who was appointed. And Philip has been preaching the good news. He is doing signs. He's doing miracles and wonders. God is working in mighty ways through him amongst many large crowds. This guy has a big following, and the church continues to grow and spread. And we read now from Acts chapter 8. We're going to read from verses 26 to 40 from the true word of our amazing God. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now an angel said to the Lord, he said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. He was an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. So Philip, he runs up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks. Well, how can I? He says, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip, come on up, sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? So Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And so he gave orders to stop the chariot, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. We thank the Lord for his true word. I love this passage. I love this interaction between this Ethiopian man and Philip. So Philip here, we have an angel of the Lord appear to him. And I find it really fascinating because as you read scriptures, all throughout it, an angel will appear and people are afraid. An angel will appear and people are afraid. An angel here appears, but it doesn't say Philip is afraid. Did you catch that? Even last week, we talked about Mary and Mary and Salome. They were afraid when they went to the empty tomb and the angel was there. They were afraid. Why wasn't he afraid? Is it now because he has the Holy Spirit within him, and he's prompted and being led by the Spirit? Is he perhaps getting used to it, to these, this holy instruction coming his, his way, and he's been responding in faith? Or is it that his faith has simply been growing to the point where he doesn't respond in fear any longer? The text doesn't state it for us, but it's an interesting detail that we can easily overlook. He's not afraid. 
but he follows. And I find it pretty interesting that he follows, because Philip was on, like, if you were to think of, like, an earthly, like, now times, he's, like, on a successful preaching circuit, okay? Think, like, Billy Graham stuff going on, okay? The masses are coming to him, and life, radical life transformation being responded to the good news at the very early stage of the Christian church. He was being used mightily by God, and now he's being sent to a desert road but he leaves right away. His ego, whatever it may be, does not stand in the way. He apparently doesn't feel too big for the desert road. The Spirit prompts, and Philip responds. See, following God means going wherever he leads us. And we know it's often unexpected. Just look at your life. We sang that song, Goodness of God, you know, how his faithfulness has always run after us and all that. We look back, and God has brought us to and through such unpredictable and strange places, including many desert roads. Philip very, could, very easily could have said, why would I go? I'm preaching the good news already. You're already doing amazing, God. Why would we, why would we stop a good Thing. People are responding. You want me to go where? To the desert road? You won't even give me the destination? Just the pathway? But he's following the Spirit. He doesn't need to know his destination because he knows the one who sends him and who travels with him. And on that journey, he comes across the Ethiopian man. And here's the thing. How many people do you think you pass by each week? Just complete strangers to and from the store, in the store, on the road, at school, at your job? How many strangers do we just pass by without giving a single second thought to these people? We can just rush through this life and not realize the opportunity around us. But here, Philip, if he wasn't tuned into the Spirit of God, he could have missed this opportunity. Because he was on the road. That's not the destination. That's where you go to go somewhere. And yet, this opportunity changed the Ethiopian's man and others forever. How often do we find ourselves just rushing through life thinking we're doing something that matters when actually the mattering things might happen on the journey? God sent Philip upon this road, not to get to wherever the road leads, but to get to this man who so many of us would have just passed by without a single glance. When we're rushing from one thing to the next, we get our blinders on, don't we? We get hyper-focused just on our own stuff. Our blinders can often be called, you know, our phones, right? <laughs> We're walking around and all this stuff. We have our blinders up or our, our daily struggles or anxieties or what we're dealing with. As we go through the world and these daily basis, our road rage is up. Our sensitivity and patience is down. If you laughed, you're like, dang, got me. Our sensitivity and patience is way down. And when our sensitivity and our patience is down and we're rushing th through this life, we're poorly postured to respond to the Spirit of God. Because what Scripture teaches us is we wait on the Lord, and He is a patient and purposeful God. 
Now, Philip was going through his life at a slow enough pace and a purposeful enough pace that allowed him to hear and respond to the Spirit. And so the Spirit says, stay close to this chariot, and Philip is slow enough and present enough to be open to hear it and to receive it. And here we come to our before and our after. Mere moments before this man, and indeed an entire country's life, will go in a different direction now forevermore. The Ethiopian eunuch, he's a very important official. He's a very high-ranking official. He handles all the treasury for the queen of Ethiopia. In other words, he's a really big deal from a land kind of far away. Somehow, and we don't know how, just how God works. This man came to know of the one true God through the Jewish tradition. He had traveled to Jerusalem to worship God through his Jewish faith. And now he is traveling home from the temple back to Ethiopia, reading Isaiah. He's reading, meaning he's obviously a very educated man. It was not normal for people to be able to read. And he's reading out loud, which was the norm back then versus now. Can you imagine if we all read everything we ever read just out loud? Like if you're reading a text right now, we would all know it because you'd be reading out loud. It was a different way of life. But he was reading out loud. And what I love is that God uses that for Philip. Because as he's reading Isaiah aloud, Philip asks, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the man responds, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? Is that relatable or what? Is that relatable or what? How many times have you opened this up and you read something like, let's see, let's just try this out. Gotta go to the back. Uh, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Wow. You would want someone to explain that to you, or you want to wrestle with that to understand it, right? This is a living, active, breathing word of God. But oftentimes we need others, including obviously the Spirit, to help us understand it. And so we relate here to the Ethiopian man because he is confused. And so he asks, he asks, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip has the opportunity to share the good news. I also love Philip doesn't come with him with his own agenda. He meets the man right in the passage he was wrestling with. says, hey, let me tell you all about Jesus. That is the prophet that Isaiah is speaking of. And so he shares the good news of Jesus Christ with this man. We have no idea how long he is with the man. He just is on the chariot. And as they're going along, the man is so captivated by the best news of all time that he found in his suffering servant, Jesus Christ, he is compelled to respond. The good news demands a response. And now, having been raised in this Jewish faith, but being captivated by Jesus Christ and this Christian belief, he sees water, which is the sign and seal of God's grace, of Jesus Christ, of what it, his death and his resurrection. He says, what is to stop me from going through those waters? And we all answer together with a resounding nothing. And him and Philip go, and the man is baptized. And oddly, the Spirit just leads Philip elsewhere. Your work is done. Move on to the next thing. It makes a note. The Ethiopian man doesn't encounter him again. 
but he's not sad. He leaves rejoicing, rejoicing. Now, I know what it's like to sit there in a pew and you hear the message and you read a passage like this and you think, that's pretty cool, Kevin. But like, so? Like, that's it? Like, yeah, so? Like, like you, you could read this passage and it could make you go, that's it? That, that's what you decided to use as your kickoff for this whole series? This example? I mean, Paul's conversion happens immediately after this. And that is dramatic. We have bright, shining lights, the word of Jesus Christ that he's blind for days. He gets a name change. There is drama. But let us not dare confuse Hollywood spectacle with the life-altering power of someone saying yes to Jesus. See, blinding light or a simple heartfelt response to the word of God while on the way carry the same death-defying, all-heaven-rejoicing power. I'm willing to bet many of you in this space today have never thought of your own testimony of following Jesus as all that exciting or all that dramatic. Maybe you were just raised in the faith and it was a, a slow, obedient process through time where you came to say, I really do believe what I've been learning throughout my life. And maybe you've bought into the lie that that is somehow not all that great or exciting or even good enough. Because we can hear these other powerful testimonies of, of people being rescued out of addiction and the very evident life change that, that happened into them. You hear of the bright light stories or the audible voice of God stories. And we think, mine wasn't like that. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. No matter what the outward circumstance that led you to saying yes to Jesus, each and every moment carries with it the drama of the dead being raised to life, of the unbreakable chains of sin being ground into dust. Because it is not our outward circumstances. It's all about what God has done for us. When we say yes, all of heaven rejoices because what Christ accomplished on the cross and the empty tomb, we now get to join in with. That is as dramatic as it gets. And here, this man's life was changed forever. Forever. Not just his life. The salvation that he experiences impacted uncountable lives since. He now has the best news you can ever have, and it is his heartbeat. It's what carried him back to his homeland of Ethiopia, to where he is a high-ranking official in the power structures of an entire community with the ear of the queen. You have no doubt the spirit had gone to work through this man when he got home. The man receiving the good news of Christ is also one of the earliest examples of what we see of God's pervasive mission. He gives us the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, including here, Ethiopia. Praise God for this man saying yes. Because not only does he represent that country, he represents every single person who has ever opened the scriptures 
and had read his account and been moved to say yes on their own because of what they heard in his encounter. Countless lives have been changed because of this. And so the man rejoices. For before, he struggled to understand Scripture. But now, after Jesus, he has life everlasting and the Spirit of God along with him forevermore. That's as dramatic as it gets. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have acknowledged that God has done all these things for you, you have a life-altering, God-honoring testimony. And all it took for this man was Philip being faithful to the Spirit's leading and moving at a pace that allowed him to respond in faith. So as we consider some questions as we close here, the first question I have for you is, what's your pace? As you go through this life, what's your pace? You go at the pace of the Spirit or at the pace of your schedule? I encourage you to do the very hard but so good work of aligning your schedule to the Spirit's. Who are the Ethiopian eunuchs in your life? If you're someone who has been changed by the good news of Christ, compelled to share that good news with others, there are some within your lives right here and now that you may otherwise look over and not see has been placed right in your sphere of influence that God has placed in your path. So who are those people in your life? These questions deal with how, we're, how are we called to be like Philip in this, in this passage? Called, called to the desert road to embrace the ordinary path, allowing God to do the extraordinary, going wherever God leads. But also, how are we called to be like this Ethiopian man? To respond to the good news. To be captivated and rejoice in the good news and then to share it not trusting in the drama of our, our encounter, but trusting in the one who changed our life. See, our response to God changed us forever. What God did for us changed us forever. He transforms us, but not just us. Because as we are transformed, we have the opportunity for our families to be transformed, our neighbors to be transformed, our workplace, our schools, our communities to be transformed. You may never know the impact that your life change has had on others, but God knows and God is at work and he is working in and through his beloved children in miraculous and dramatic ways every single day all throughout this world. So may each and every one of us continue upon our own paths at a pace that is open and aware of the Spirit as we trust in Him alone who raises the dead to life. That's our word today. May we be transformed by this word as we seek now to respond to God's word. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are always at work doing what you do. 
And so we, along with this Ethiopian man, along with all the angels in heaven, rejoice. For God, while you have changed us so dramatically and have captured us by this good news, and today you've reminded us of what it means to follow you and be transformed to share that good news, we also rejoice knowing that you do not change, that you are the same. And for all of us, if we are the same from from yesterday to today to 10 years from now, oh, woe is us. But because of who you are, as our God, the power and profound truth of you remaining the same is the greatest comfort we can have in this earth. So we thank you, Lord, that you who has been at work since before the creation of this world is continuing to do a work here and now today in and through our lives. We long to be open and willing vessels for you to do what you long to do. Show us the path. Show us the people. Slow us down and give us the courage to share our story of transformation. For in in those moments, you are glorified and lives are changed forever. May it be so, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.